What's up, everyone? I'm Mike Posbon, and you are listening to part two of episode nine of VGM Generations. And with me, as always, is Aaron Blauchuk. <laughs> and Jordan Valinsky. <laughs> <laughs> and in this month's episode, we are talking about creepy, spooky Halloween music. <laughs> <laughs> Insert sound effect. Insert sound effect here. And uh, yeah, so this is part two. So, um, and remember to listen all the way through this podcast and all the way to the end for details on the contest where you can win one of the games that we talk about in this month's episodes. What a deal. What a deal. It's free. A free game. If you're just, Steam. just tuning in now, we Over announced Steam. last month's winner in last week's episode. We did for sure. Apocalypse 7. Apocalypse <laughs> 7. Congratulations. Apocalypse now? <laughs> no, 7. 7. Even better. The 7th yeah. apocalypse. There's been a lot of apocalypse. So anyway, uh, yeah, so he won last month, and uh, we're looking for a new winner this month. So, and uh, yeah, you're gonna we change it up, so you're gonna win a game uh, that we talk about on Steam, and we will buy it for you and gift it to you. And if you don't have Steam, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, get a computer. Can I get a game on Origin? <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I have a personal up with Origin, but <laughs> we'll gloss over that. Um, so it's uh, Jordan's turn. To go first this time. All right. I'm going to talk about uh, <laughs> Akumaju Densetsu. Oh, yeah. My favorite. We all know a that. Classic. Okay. Classic. I'm assuming a Japanese I have, I have that tattooed right on my forehead. You probably <laughs> would. It's the Famicom version of what we call here in North America as Castlevania 3. Oh, you could oh, have just said Castlevania 3. I <laughs> could have, but I'm playing the Japanese version of the song because, as I mentioned in an episode last month, I prefer the Famicom uh, sound because they had a couple extra channels for audio that the Nintendo Entertainment System didn't have. Mm -hmm. And if you're familiar with Castlevania 3 and its soundtrack, then you're in for a treat because the Japanese version, hands down, is better. Wow. So Welcome to Castlevania. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Castlevania 3 here. Um, so for me, this was my favorite of the original trilogy. Um, it introduced a system of supporting characters that you could recruit along the way to help you on your mission to defeat Dracula. Final Fantasy-esque. Very much so. One of them being the introduction to Alucard, who's a pretty prominent <laughs> character. Who's also the laziest named character ever. Well, it's, it's well, the Pokemon naming convention. It's right? not, <laughs> not necessarily lazy because it is, act, well, if you go back to it's the root. It's a lore thing. Yeah, yeah, if you go back to the root of the name Alucard, I, you obviously, everyone knows it's just Dracula spelled backwards. It's a reference to. Ekans. To <laughs> the original, because yeah, the name roots back pretty far back in the, yeah, in the vampire in the lore. lore. Um, so it's not like Castlevania invented that, but uh, anyways, it's still silly. I mean, even if Castlevania so, what is that like? Dracula was named Alucard and then became Dracula. No, or no. Something? Well, <laughs> just, in the Castle, do quick. In the Castlevania series, Alucard is Dracula's son. Oh, I see. Okay, and he wants to kill Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. So there's. Uh, I want to talk about the supporting characters more than anything because I don't think I really need to go into detail about Castlevania. No, um, this probably not. Uh, guy with the whip fights Dracula. Exactly. <laughs> and so some of the supporting characters we have. There's. Um, I I don't know what he is. I think he's like a pirate. There's this guy <laughs> named Grant. Uh, his abilities are he climbs walls and ceilings and he has short range attacks. That's not a pirate. That's Spider-Man. Spider yeah. yeah. <laughs> his appearance, he wears a bandana. He has a sleeveless vest and he has like, like Spider-Man. Spider red. He has <laughs> cut, cut off 
shorts, pants. He looks like a pirate. <laughs> no pirate has ever worn cut, cut off, off shorts. <laughs> <laughs> he, lo- he looks like a pirate. Pirate, be hot out here today. A pirate from uh, the Disney Peter Pan movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, we have Saifa, who's like um, sort of like a uh, like a wizard sorceress type character who has uh, magic spells as projectiles can freeze bad guys. And then, of course, we have the already mentioned Alucard, who has um, much like I, I should mention that the main character isn't Simon Belmont. It's actually Trevor Belmont. So this game takes place before Castlevania one and two. Oh, before. One before. thing I've always liked about the Castlevania series is that it sort of spans history, right? It's the, the tale of a family fighting Dracula. The Belmont family. Yeah. yeah through the through, ages. Through the ages, right? Fight, and defeating so, Dracula and the vampires. Yeah, and yeah. all the games take place in a different era. And it's not necessarily always the Belmonts, right? It's Correct. You know. Yeah. They, uh, in the later games, they had a different family. And, mm. and of course, because this one introduces the supporting characters, um, in some of the later games, I believe you just play as Alucard um, and some of the other characters that, you know, Maybe they don't even have Belmonts in the games. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% clear on the lore, but I think at some point maybe the Belmont line actually died out. And yeah, kind yeah, of because I, th- to- I think they start diving into the Dracula books and they go into whatever the family is from the books. They're not obviously not the Belmonts. There's another family from the actual literature that Castlevania dives into. But yeah. I don't want to talk too much about that because I'm From not... Van Helsing? No, no, no. <laughs> no. But who is the family in Van Helsing that he's like saving? Oh, I don't know. Because it could have been then. Yeah, we should really... I, don't know. I didn't we expect gotta, to go gotta, into this kind of detail. I want to talk about the earlier Castlevanias. <laughs> Anyways, and Trevor what, Belmont. Trevor yeah, Belmont. Yeah. And what I, w- the reason I, I went towards Trevor Belmont is because like, as you know, with most Castlevania games, um, break, you know, destroying the candles, you upgrade your whip, you get stronger whips. Well, Alucard, the only one out of the three, I believe, out of the three supporting characters, he can upgrade his weapon as well. He has, um, he, he like flings his cape open and shoots a projectile. <laughs> and as you upgrade it, it becomes a spread shot. So the only spread shot character in the game, and of course the coolest feature that he has is that um, draining your heart meter, he can transform into a bat and fly around in the level. So obviously creating opportunities for shortcuts and and getting over harder enemies. But then of course- he's undead, so super OP. Super OP. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my favorite out of the supporting characters was Grant, the pirate, Um, because I love being able to climb up the walls and climb on the ceilings. Um, He had, uh, he was able to pick up um, the secondary weapons, just like all the other characters, they all have secondary weapons that use your heart meter. He had like daggers and axes. So it was always fun, like hanging upside down from the ceiling and like tossing axes across the room and As throwing daggers. Does. Pirates always yeah. do that kind of stuff. It's always, it's just the climbing and pirates thing. It just reminds me of Black Flag because there's like uh, really early on in Black Flag, uh, Assassin's Creed. No, we're talking about Assassin's yeah, Creed. Yeah, Assassin's Creed, Black Flag. Um, there's a point where you like climb a building and then uh, like this character with your wrist, he's like, oh, you're really good at climbing. He's like, yeah, all pirates are good at climbing because we're always climbing. The ho- and it's just like, no, they're not. That's not what pirates are known for. It's they're because, not known for climbing. You know, it's because they're so uh, like flexible and athletic in their short cut off shorts. And, uh, <laughs> a lot of range of motion. <laughs> anyway, they'll have, they'll have those. It's just so, it's just a weird thing. They all have like, the, pirates are known for they climbing. They all have the, the pirate flag uh, tattoo on their biceps. Yeah, when that's flex, right. When you flex, yeah. <laughs> the flag blows in the wind. Anyways, so um, I want to talk about the song Clockworks, which is level two. This for me, um, playing playing this game, when you defeat the first level, you're introduced to a multi-path system. Um, You can choose to go route A or route B. 
And you could, as you play throughout the game, depending on whether you choose A or B, introduces a new version of maybe C or D or E and F, depending on which route you take. So the paths branch out. You're able to navigate through the game playing easier or more difficult levels. Depending on which route you take, you might um, come in contact with different side characters or totally miss other side characters, skipping levels altogether. Um, but the first character you come across is Grant, and it's very easy to bypass him because uh, when you, if you're familiar with the first, after defeating the first level, you get your first option A or B. If you pick A, you're going to go through the clock tower and you're going to climb all the way to the top and fight Quasimodo and free Grant. <laughs> what? Actually, Quasimodo? <laughs> well, there's this giant ogre at the top of the clock uh, tower. Okay, and when so, you defeat yeah. him, he reverts back to his normal human form, which yeah. is Grant. So for all I know, he's not a pirate. He's a giant ogre, Quasimodo <laughs> type character that wears, you know, ripped up shorts. <laughs> so well, maybe he like hulked out. Yeah, but that's kind oh, of that maybe, that, maybe he yeah. had long pants. That could and then be it. He did the that Hulk thing. And then, yeah, that's probably what it is. That's why he doesn't. Ha that's why he wears a vest and shorts because he hulked out. That explains a lot. And he grew a bandana. <laughs> <laughs> His hair just turned into a he bandana. Just, he grabbed like one of the pieces or of tattered clothing and maybe, turned it into bandana. Because this is pixel graphics maybe it's a ponytail i don't know <laughs> oh. to tell. anyways so <laughs> you can skip this level because when you beat the clock tower um the clock tower starts to collapse and you have to um retreat through the clock tower after defeating the boss you actually come back through the clock tower in reverse order now that you've you know you freed grant you have the op opportunity to take him with you if you choose to take him you can turn into him. So climbing down the clock tower as somebody who can climb walls and ceilings, you can like whip down that level in like 30 seconds. Um, but if you defeat level one and decide I don't need Grant and I don't even want to play the clock tower, you can just skip to level three and totally like forget him and go look for Alucard if you yeah, want. Yeah, man, what a jerk. But because, <laughs> because I like him so much, I always go to level two. And because of that, I want to play the level two theme song from... Again, this is the Japanese version. The Famicom version, Akumaju Densetsu. The level is called Clockworks from Castlevania 3. Let's go. this is that I, I can almost picture Dracula sitting in his castle playing a giant organ like this is the yeah. theme he's playing yeah. as you're going he's up waiting through for the, you to come in the clock tower itself 
And this is, uh, I think this is the level, like there's a lot, like there's, everyone knows the Medusa heads mm. in the Castlevania series. And I don't know how far back they go if they're all the way back to the very first Castlevania game. But I feel like this is the level where you hate, you learn to hate <laughs> them the most because going up the clock tower, the whole entire level is going upstairs. And it's one of those levels where the higher you go, the bottom of the level will scroll up with you. So you could, like, I was actually playing this game last night just to get a bit of a refresher. And I made it all the way to the top of the castle without getting hit once because I kind of had it down to a system. But near the top, I got hit by a Medusa head. I didn't lose a couple a couple tick points. It knocked me off the stairs and threw me off into a hole and I was instantly dead in one hit. Uh. And the whole level is like that. <laughs> so I can see why a lot of people wouldn't play this level. Now, I, I wanted to mention that not only are the Medusa heads throughout the series, but the clock tower is actually a recurring element is in it? the series yeah. as well. And three may be actually the first point that the clock tower appeared. But having not just the clock tower, but Medusa heads in the clock tower is common. I can think of much later games like on the Nintendo DS that you also play in the clock tower, you also play in the uh, with Medusa heads. And that's the other thing too, is like almost every Castlevania game essentially takes place in Dracula's castle. So it, Dracula's yeah. castle reappears throughout history and then you're just in that castle. So it's shape-shifting, it changes, but... It's essentially the same location. That's cool, yeah, because a lot of the Castlevania games have similar theme levels, but then in some of the later ones, yeah, they kind of like, um, again, I'm not familiar with some of the later ones except for the horrible N64 games, but <laughs> um, um, I know, so, I believe some of the Castlevania games, yeah, like you just said, you're just in Dracula's castle, but they did try and bring some of those themes out in it. Is that correct? That is correct, but I'm yeah. going to talk about that later in a future episode of our mm-hmm. Halloween horror-themed podcast. Foreshadow. <laughs> expect more castlevania anyways if uh, you haven't played castlevania 3 dracula's curse it's a perfect time of year to play it there you go all right aaron give us uh give us your pick all right i'm going back to a game that i have talked about i believe in previous ones because uh it's video game soundtrack it, uh, the soundtrack to the second game in this uh series is my favorite video game soundtrack of all time and that is monkey island 2 but the pick that I have for this week is from the first game, Monkey Island, the, known as The Secret of Monkey Island. And uh, the, I'm picking a song called Ghost Ship Shuffle. Now, the version that I'm, I'm going to play is, the, uh, is actually from the remake. Just uh, in, in 2009, there was a, um, a graphical and musical audio upgrade to the game where they not only totally remastered all the music with actual instruments. They redrew all of the graphics and they re-recorded all of the dialogue with the actual voice actors from the later games in the series. So um, the Ghost Ship Shuffle was always a song that stood out to me in the original. I loved it, even in its original incarnation. And when I first played Monkey Island way back in the ancient 1990, where, you know, Mike would have been like five years old. <laughs> well, we went from a game where I was one year old to the game where I was two years old. <laughs> Oh yeah, you you were two. So when I was playing this game, I remember playing it we, with PC speakers first. So you didn't have much in the way of music or sound effects. No. And then uh, I played it later on with the uh, Sound Blaster, and the Sound Blaster was my first introduction introduction to good music in a in a PC game. And the Ghost Ship Shuffle specifically stood out to me as one of the better tracks in here. And on top of that music, I actually also have the Secret of Monkey Island Sega CD version which again, the CD-ROM version of this game, if you remember people talking about CD-ROMs, 
um, had totally remastered music on it as well. All this is all done uh, MIDI, but I remember actually ripping that music off of the CD-ROM version of uh, of the Sega Genesis, no, the Sega CD version, and then like putting that onto tapes and stuff like that. That is <laughs> cool. Yeah. There, I wonder if there's any like younger listeners of the podcast <laughs> who are totally lost right now. Totally lost. Like tapes, CD-ROMs, CD ROMs. What the hell? What's a MIDI Sega music, CD? sound blasters. Is that what like is all an this iPod? Thing? I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'm talking about PC speaker music here, where you put it in and it would like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, talking again about Monkey Island. So th- this game was developed by LucasArts for the PC. It was heavily influenced by the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disneyland. So that they took the whole sort of idea and atmosphere. And so the game was developed by, um, I believe it's Dave Gilbert and uh, Tim Schafer. And I talked about Tim Schafer in a previous one. He's currently heading up the studio Double Fine, who did Costume Quest that I mentioned. He'd, they do uh, a lot of adventure games. And they did uh, an adventure game recently called Broken Age, which was another big uh, Kickstarter project for them. But uh, anyway, I mentioned that uh, Costume Quest had a lot of Tim Schafer's sort of signature humor and style, and Monkey Island was, I believe, his first game with LucasArts, and uh, it was it was sort of a renaissance for the studio. Like people just loved loved this game because of its humor and story and dialogue and characters, and people are sort of getting increasingly frustrated with the Sierra line of games, where you know every single wrong move would kill you. Anything you do, you touch the wrong thing, you turn the wrong corner, you would die. And so basically, uh, um, uh, Ron Gilbert said, I want to make a game where it's not constantly hitting you over the head. And Monkey Island was the result of that. And he, which is funny because they even have a moment in the game where you fall off of a cliff and it looks like you die. It even brings up the little Sierra style, you have just died um, thing. But about five seconds later, um, Guybrush like bounces, Guybrush Threepwood being the main protagonist of the series, bounces back up from the abyss onto the cliff and says, what do you know? There was a rubber tree down there. (laughs) So it's a total got you. And there is actually a place where you can literally die in the game. And that is, uh, there's a part where you're sort of chained underwater. And if you are in that area for longer than 10 minutes, you actually die. And it's funny because, you know. Does it say you actually die this time? (laughs) Well, well, you die for real. But the funny thing about that is that, um, Underwater for 10 minutes. <laughs> Underwater for 10 minutes. But there's like throughout the game up to that point, Guybrush says many, many times to various characters as one of his special skills is that he can hold his breath for 10 minutes. Oh, and he says okay. that a lot. Like I can hold so my breath for 10 minutes. It. They plant it. Yeah. They'll say like, do you That's have any cool. special skills? And it's one of the dialogue options. I can hold my breath for 10 minutes. That's cool. So, uh, I like that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's well done. Yeah. Also on that vein, I want to talk about Monkey Island 2. It's really funny because when you start that game, you're telling it starts the game, essentially the end of the game, where Guybrush is like hanging over this pit and the um, main female protagonist from the game, Elaine Marley, comes in and she asks him how he got in this situation. So the whole game is him telling this story about how he led up to that point at the beginning of the game. And there's a part in the game where you're like chained over a vat of acid and if you don't solve the puzzle fast enough, you get dipped into the acid and die. And it's funny because he's like, being lowered into the acid and he's screaming and it's fading to black. And then it fades back to him telling the story. And she's like, wait a minute, if, if you died, then how are you telling this story? It's just, oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it breaks the yeah, fourth it, wall. It breaks that. He's like, like you're telling me this story about how you got here. And in your story, you, you died. died. Yeah. So how does that work? He's like, wait and a minute. So no way. Do do? I'm remembering that wrong. Oh, Let okay. me go back. And then it, it lets you give you another harder. chance. It gives you another shot at that. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> that's good stuff. That's oh, good game design. It is really good game design. There's a lot in these games that is not only good game design, but like one thing will happen and it'll be referenced in 
later games and later parts of the series as well. Like for instance, there's this joke in the original Monkey Island. Now here's another thing going back in time, talking about like tapes and stuff like that, is that when I first played this game, it came on multiple floppy disks. Mm-hmm. So it was like eight floppy disks yeah. and you would have to change disks through the course of the game. It'd be, you get to a point where you would say insert two. disk yeah. two or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I can remember that in the yeah. CD <laughs> era where like if a game was long enough, you had to put in the Swap second CDs. disc. But in this game, there was a maze where you're walking through the forest and you come across this stump. And if you look at the stump, it says, oh, I can see a whole series of catacombs down there. And then if you try and enter the stump, it says, insert disc 22. So it's like, okay. And you look through your discs and it only goes up to eight. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So you try again. It's like, insert disc 36. Insert disc 114. And then after you try three times and it gives you those, he stands up and says, well, I guess I can't go down there. And it's funny because people would call like the LucasArts tip <laughs> yeah. line and be where's like, this where's this 22? How do it's, I get down there? It's an intelligent way yeah. of saying you're not supposed to go down there, but we're going <laughs> to screw with you a little bit. And it's hilarious because in Monkey Island 2, later on, you actually, in the game, call the LucasArts tip line for help. And they reference that part about Disc 22 and how much of a pain in the ass it was for them because they got they re- so many calls <laughs> They about regretted it. it. They regretted it. <laughs> and then later on in Monkey Island 3, you're actually in this underground tomb, this catacomb, and there's a crack in the wall. And if you inspect <laughs> it and you stick your head through, you actually stick your head up through the stump in Monkey Island 1 and it goes back to those old like VGA graphics and everything like that. And he kind of like looks around in these old style Monkey Island graphics. So I love that little callback. And it makes you think. Great writing. If you Great had, writing. Oh yeah. If you had Monkey Island uh, 1 disc 22, you could have jumped into Monkey Island 3 just straight through that stump. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. <laughs> and uh, so the back to the music about this game. So the music style is described as pirate reggae. <laughs> it's a lot of steel drums and there's a lot of marimbas and stuff like that. This music was um, composed by a composer called Michael Z. Land. And uh, I think I've mentioned him before as well. He was a longtime composer on like most of the stuff for LucasArts, like a master of MIDI. Like he's just incredible with, uh, with his compositions and also developing the later um, systems where the music would like change and flow and become new things and how the music actually was very... It would it would sort of become what was happening in the game. It would it would constantly remix itself to match the action on screen, which was really really a revolutionary system for that game. Yeah, very cool. And uh, let's see. I mentioned the Sega CD, the remastered version of the music we're going to play. Oh, and here's one one more fun <laughs> fact about Monkey Island that I came across today that I'd never heard before, is that in Monkey Island One, your this character Guybrush Threepwood and you want to become a pirate. That's his lifelong dream. So he shows up in town and he's like, I want to be a pirate. Well, go talk to the pirate masters. These three guys in the bar, they can help you out. And they're drinking, sitting at the table and they're drinking grog as a pirate does. And one of your dialogue options is to ask the pirates, What's, what are they drinking? What's in the grog? So they give you this long convoluted thing where they say it contains one or more of the following, rum, red dye number six, battery acid, kerosene, (laughs) and they go through like this long list of like just garbage. And apparently at some point in 2009, um, as a joke, somebody submitted to an Argentinian um, news channel called C5N that this was the latest craze with the kids was this new Grog XD that kids are, (laughs) are drinking. And then they listed the ingredients from Monkey Island and the channel totally fooled by it 
ran with this as a news story. They consulted a doctor and everything about this like latest craze that the kids are getting into. They're drinking <laughs> kerosene and battery acid in Grog XD. And the hilarious part about that is if, if, I mean, it's easier when you can see it, but as a lot of you know, X and D together is an emoji for uh, like laughing, laughing kind of like so hard laughing that your face. eyes are yeah. kind of like closed. Yeah, open mouth laugh. <laughs> so yeah. it was right there in the joke. And then later on in one of the much, much later games in the series, um, Telltale, if you know the, um, the company Telltale makes a lot of adventure games, they made a Monkey Island series as well. And Guybrush even references that. He comes across a grog machine as one does in Monkey Island, like a pop machine, but for grog. Yeah. And there's an option to get grog XD, XD. <laughs> out of that machine. And so That's he great. makes some comment about, about it and the hoax. And it's just, you know, talking about great writing. I just love how they... They're constantly referencing yeah. themselves and stuff. Yeah, that's great. And over the course of years, like all these games and just how, how well it's done. One of my favorite series of all time. So this is from the ghost ship area where you're in the deep catacombs of hell searching for what can beat the evil pirate LeChuck. You come across his ghost ship with his ghost skeleton crew and they're having a little party and they're playing instruments and dancing to the ghost ship shuffle. did too with the ghost ship shuffle is that when you're on the main deck of the ship and you see them playing the instruments and they're actually doing the little dance and everything like that there's a little animation there one of the guys is like dancing and he'll like pop his head off and he'll hit it with his arm it'll pop back on his head and they're playing the music but when you go below decks it keeps playing that music but in a muffled way so you can hear it like happening above you oh so the further down you go the more you you can hear how far away from the surface you are or the deck yeah and it's really cool just the way it actually you know, that was the first time I'd heard a game do something like that with audio, and I That's love neat. that. Yeah, I like I like when games do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, the one that, um, this is totally an aside, but the one that springs to me was, I remember when I first got my, like, good, my first, like, really good sound card, 
um, for my computer that wasn't built in. And it had all these effects that only applied in certain games. And I was playing Battlefield. I think I was playing Battlefield 2. And uh, there was one part where you ran under a tunnel and I had my headphones on and the sound of the game changed when you like went in that tunnel and like my gun sounded different. And I, like I had headphones on. I was like, what's going on? I'm like, <laughs> looking all around me and I was like, oh, it's because it's echoing in the tunnel. And it, I was like, I was blown away. I was like, this is the coolest shit. That's great. Anytime yeah. like you do that or when you're underwater in a game and it does that, that's. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you heard it in the song, but do you hear like moaning and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. laughing and moaning, and they put in a whole bunch of ghost sound effects because that's what ghosts do at a party, I guess. <laughs> that's the thing when you're making. That's just what when, ghosts do. When yeah. you're making spooky ghost music, that's kind of your go-to if you can't <laughs> actually portray spooky music. Just throw in ghost sounds. Yeah, yeah just you're like, covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we were making at the beginning and ends of the podcast. <laughs> So this is from the first Monkey Island, not Monkey the, Island. No, this is from the first Monkey oh, okay. Island. But um, they've expanded this song because in the first Monkey Island, this it was the same song, but it looped fairly quickly. And of course, it was just the Sound Blaster sound. Now for the special edition remake, they I don't know what they've done here. They've got a guy and they've expanded this song. So they've like extended this solo. They've put in a whole bunch of new parts. Like it's a whole new like melody. There's, so it's a total rearrangement. It's of a it. total rearrangement. And, uh, you know, they've just basically extended the song beyond what it was originally. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I guess uh, that's all for Monkey Island. So it's on to me. Back to you. Back to me. And uh, I am going back again to a, a game I mentioned in the second uh, podcast we ever did, which was our handheld hits, and I'm going back to Pokemon Red and Blue, uh, <laughs> as it was in North America. And uh, the track I picked was Lavender Town, which is the creepiest <laughs> of all the Pokemon tracks by a wide margin. Uh, <laughs> Not that there were many creepy no, tracks no, 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 in Pokemon. It wasn't really. That's why a it's dark such a wide game, margin. Right? Um, and it also ranks among the creepiest among all Nintendo Of all time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, just to run through it quickly, uh, developed by Game Freak, uh, published by Nintendo, 1998. Uh, and then uh, Junchi Masuda was the composer for this game. Um, so yeah, just to run through Lavender Town a bit, uh, just to catch you up on if you never played the game. So Pokemon, yeah, is a pretty light and like kind of cheery game you know it's about all these pocket monsters you collect you're you're this little boy whose mom doesn't care about him and ten you go years out into old. the world like, yeah. i'm 10 years old i'm going out to <laughs> seek my fortune and your mom's like awesome go yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah you're running around collecting your little pocket monsters and um then all of a sudden you go to lavender town <laughs> and the the first thing you hear is the music and you're like what the hell is this it's creepy and uh the main installation in uh, Lavender Town is Pokemon Tower, which is a seven-floor graveyard that holds the graves of the departed Pokemon, mostly killed by Team Rocket. So first <laughs> wow. you learn Pokemon can die. They don't just faint, which is what you think up to this point, because every time your Pokemon dies in a battle, he just faints, and then I mean, he goes back in the Pokeball. They have better medical the, technology for yeah. Pokemon now, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so bunch of dead Pokemon in a seven-floor graveyard, which already is creepy as hell. Um, and then, so in the, po in the tower, you see all these like ghosts of Pokemon, but they're not ghost Pokemon. They're not ghost types. They're just kind of these generic ghost looking things. And you can't see what Pokemon they are unless you have the Sylph scope, which you get from a, another, uh, member of team rocket earlier on. Uh, and then there's also a bunch of Cubones, uh, while Cubone running around in the tower. 
uh, because Team Rocket have been trying to collect them to steal their skulls, which is like, this is so, <laughs> like, I was reading this They're, today. I'm like, this is so fucked up like, <laughs> for a kid's game. Are, aren't those the ones that have the skull on the outside? Yeah, That's they the have the skulls skull of the their mothers or parents or something. So that they're, that they're basically the ripping their heads off is essentially what they're doing because they kind of wear it on the outside. Well, I thought that they were just masks. Well, yeah, they're kind of like masks, well, but I they like in the wear it. Official lore of, of Marowak, the whole Cubone thing, yeah, yeah, is yeah, that. Yeah. Basically, they're wearing the skulls of their parents or, so or they have to kill their, their mothers. Parents? No, no I, when they die. When they die. Or, okay. Yeah. Okay. So some I, of them I'm don't not wear. sure about that. You have that. to look up the official <laughs> backstory. The official but I'm pretty lore. sure it's in the uh, it's in the actual description of the character. That's oh, creepy. like in the Pokedex. In the Pokedex. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but so they're trying to steal steal and sell their skulls, and then in the process of them trying to do this, a mother Marowak dies protecting her Cubone child, and her ghost haunts the tower. And then you actually have to fight the ghost, and then, like, when you, uh, like, when you make her faint, um, or knock her out, she, you set that spirit free. So, like, all this stuff is, I just have to go through all of it, because it's, like, so creepy. Um... So now we come to the expanded universe of this song. So. <laughs> and if you've been paying attention to the internet in the last, you know, number of years, you might have come across this expanded yeah. universe. You, you know what? Actually, I'm going to leave this. I'm going to leave this. Let's listen to it. Uh, and then we'll see if uh, any of us go crazy while we listen to it. And then we'll come back to the story. If we're alive after this. If song. we're alive after this, if we're all still here, we'll come back to the story. <laughs> Let's go into the expanded, expanded craziness of Lavender Town. So, um, creepy pasta, which is the term I was just recently introduced to, which is just kind of like creepy internet stories, I guess. Um, did a whole thing on Lavender Town. So apparently, when this game came out in Japan, which came out, which was before its American release, um, and I think it was Pokemon. 
red and green in Japan or something like that? There was a red, blue, and green, I believe. There were, okay, three, there were versions three versions in Japan okay. where we only got red and blue. And then ye- later, yellow, which is the and same game, but yellow, Pikachu. Yeah. Actually, um, just quickly on that note, um, <laughs> in yellow, Pikachu follows you around like he did in the, uh, in the anime. And when you go up the tower, you can look at Pikachu and he's frowning and you, you ask him why he said he's like, because all the ghosts, <laughs> he just doesn't <laughs> like the ghosts because it, it means all the dead Pokemon, right? So, uh, but anyway, so when this game came out in Japan, apparently um, a few kids that also had happened to play the game committed suicide. And this theory was developed that there was a frequency in the original Lavender Town song that drove children specifically mad because it was at a frequency that only small children could hear because like you, dogs as yeah soon, if you know well, like as you get older your ears yeah. degenerate and exactly you don't pick up the same frequency exactly so as you get older um the frequency the maximum frequency you can hear reduces every few years and, and, and everybody gets different um but for for everyone as you get older you start to lose some of those higher frequencies so um Basically, they heard this song. There was this frequency in there, the tempo and the tone. Also, um, I've read some stuff that said like also like the flashes on the screen and stuff also contributed to it. It's like the perfect combination. They had to throw out as many uh, things as they possibly could. (laughs) All these things together. But yeah, apparently Lavender Town and it's called uh, I think it was called Lavender Town Syndrome is what it's Mm -hmm. technically named. uh, Caused kids to commit suicide. And then um, when the game came out in North America, they actually... um, pitched the whole song down of a little bit so that that the, so that those frequencies weren't in it that explains uh, they, they um, actually did that because they were worried about this i don't know <laughs> no, if, uh, i'm sure they just pitched it down because it was a change in the game and that, and people, that became part of the lore but it became yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. lore right <laughs> so anyway as you know if anyone reads if you read if you can go online and read a ton about this kotaku has a big long huge article about it there's the original creepypasta thing about it um there's some great videos out there that people have done about it, but <laughs> basically it's a load of BS, but oh, yeah. it's, it absolutely <laughs> is. With, with most, most creepypasta, it sort of blurs the line between fan fiction and reality and yeah. tries to get you to believe in the lore. And yeah. I guess it's more just fan made. Yeah. Just fan fiction. But if it's well done, you know, and, and in this case, I think it really grabbed onto people's imaginations because, you know, Pokemon is a big phenomenon. A lot of people remember it. It is a very creepy song. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, obviously it's BS, but you know, you just you, kind of, you want to kind of want to. You don't want to believe in a bunch of children's suicides, but you want to believe that there's this like supernatural, supernatural yeah. element yeah. to the game. But and Lavender Town, like if you, li- I think if I was like forced to sit in a room and listen to the song for like a couple hours, I I might be suicidal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just like at least it creeps you yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And, it's a creepy that, song. That whole theory goes like beyond that as well. Is how there's like these hidden sprites in yeah, the game. So, yeah, things that were like were like cut out, like this there's like this decaying hand sprite and there's this buried alive zombie kind of thing that would uh, reach up from the ground and grab you and end your game and then reprogram the hardware of the game boy (laughs) so that when you turned on the game boy, you would see it. And it was like, there's, (laughs) uh, it just goes crazy. Like they went too far, but um, some of the theories push it so far that like, that's where it starts to fall apart. But I think the best creepypasta stories are the ones that, you know, they, they know where to, they know where the line is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so there's there's tons of stuff written about all, all about Lavender Town and all the weirdness within. Um, yeah, and then like yeah, all the stuff that was like deleted out of the game, but somehow it was left in some people's games. Like <laughs> and it pops out of nowhere, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's a uh, it's a really good and really fun and good good stuff. Good uh, Halloween. Yeah, good, lore t- to good read. time of year to get into creepypasta. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that is it, Mike. Yes, sir. What have you been playing? 
Right, exactly. Oh, <laughs> oh you beat me to it. What have I been playing? So um, I've been playing the regular stuff, the Three Swords, the Overwatch. But uh, the one thing I wanted to mention was uh, For Honor, a new Ubisoft game that isn't out yet and is still on its way. But I actually got into the alpha. I've been waiting for that game forever. Since I sent first, you an alpha key, but you were I away was camping. camping. I was camping when that happened. See, yeah. I see know. kids, listen, anyone listening, remember... Don't go outdoors. <laughs> Stay inside and play games, and then you get into cool alpha games. But yeah, For Honor, which is a um, like a three faction um, uh, what we, action game. But yeah, like, I, if I if I just want to throw in there, I know we've talked about Steam games. If you know what Chivalry Modern Warfare is, or uh, not Modern Warfare, but Chivalry um, is a game that was sort of based on the Source Engine originally, and it's a knights fighting. You run around a field. You have swords, bows and arrows, axes, and it's. Uh, it's hand-to-hand, first-person hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. And so when I first saw For Honor, it basically was like, this, now we've got a big studio, Ubisoft doing it, big budget, big production game. So it's kind of like chivalry, the next generation. So it doesn't have the source engine look. It has <laughs> no. more of an <laughs> yeah, no, it's got a exactly. more modern It's a very, it. very pretty shiny game. Yeah. Um, lots of, and it obviously like a lot of engine work going on behind just because there's like so many AI characters running around and they're actually kind of intelligent. Like they'll... Um, so it's all about, it's all about, uh, taking over points on a map and holding them for as long as possible. And the longer you hold them, the more points you gain. And then you're, you're simultaneously fighting some AI characters and then some player controlled characters. Uh, and you can fight like, you can just do like one-on-one challenges where you just do it. Like it's like a best of five and you're just fighting the same guy with a bunch of times, but yeah, it's, and it's got this very unique, uh, control system where it's this whole system of like parrying and attacking. So and uh, it just works in three directions. So it's like left, right, and up. Um, but yeah, you can go online, watch videos about it. It's all, it, it's it's much easier to watch than it is to explain. <laughs> they kind of, it kind of sounds like they took a combination of both Chivalry and uh, Dynasty Warriors a little bit. A little it bit, yeah. It feels like they've, they've got that like capturing points. And yeah, like, sort of, sort of, for sure. And uh, the maps are just a lot smaller because you're yeah. not like <laughs> running around at anime speeds where you can yeah. just brrr, like yeah. zoom across the map. But um you actually do move slow. Like it, that's the one of the really cool things about it is like you you feel the weight of your characters. Like when they're swinging their giant longsword, it takes some time because it's you know that thing would weigh 20, 30 pounds. So and and what about the classes? Because there's different classes. Yeah. So you have samurai, um, Viking, and knights mm-hmm. are your three classes. So yeah, the sam the samurai are you know in their classic full outfits, <laughs> like super bulky. All the characters have like a lot of weight and gravity to them, and it's it's cool. It's it's cool. And the beta and the alpha, um, it was actually alpha, not a beta. Um, ran really well. Um, at first I couldn't open it, and I uh, had to go into the forums and figure out why. And it was actually my particular brand of uh, antivirus <laughs> was killing, totally like killing the game. So, but luckily there were lots of uh, lots of people in the forums. They opened it. It was quite a big alpha for an alpha. Um, so they opened a lot up to a lot of people. So there was a lot of support available out there. But a lot of fun. Um, a game that I can totally see. Uh, it's going to be one of those games where you need to get it day one. You need to play a lot because if you get left in the in the dust of like people who start to get good at the pairing system, you're never going to be able to hold a candle. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you want to play, start when it comes out. I want to play, so. so I'm going to. Yeah, no, no. But it, yeah, it's cool. So uh, there's a beta coming uh, that you can sign up for. And I think so there's a closed beta and I think they're going to do an open beta too. So lots of chances to play it before it comes out. But uh, yeah, for honor, check it out. See, see if it's uh, something you might enjoy. And of course, uh, you got to use Uplay for that. So, yeah. You do have to use Uplay. <laughs> yeah. But Uplay is good. It's not the worst. 
It's not the worst. It's, it's no not origin. Origin, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day we'll get into my hatred of origin. But anyway, not that that day is not today. Um, so that is all for part two of episode nine of VGM Generations. Remember, you can always tweet us at VGM Generations or email at us at the address vgmgenerations at gmail.com. And now we're going to mention the contest again. So, so far, I've got four games that I'm trying to write them down and keep track. So I've got Costume Quest, mm-hmm. Monkey Island Special Edition, AVGN... Adventures. Adventures, and... What Ghost was, of a Tale. Ghost of a Tale. So those are the four games so far, and the list might grow even larger, um, that you can win by simply hopping on Twitter and retweeting one of the three tweets that come out uh, about the podcast. So you have your iTunes, you have your SoundCloud, you have your Google Play. Uh, when I tweet it out every Monday, hop on there. Usually, so usually the way I do it is I do SoundCloud Sunday night because, uh, hint, I don't like cut this podcast at like 1 a.m. and then post it on Monday. <laughs> uh, hot tips. But uh, yeah, Sunday night usually comes SoundCloud. Uh, Monday I'll do uh, iTunes and Tuesday I'll do Google Play just because like uh, some Google Play for some reason that service takes a really long time for the podcast to appear on the service mm-hmm. even though it goes up to SoundCloud like immediately. So that's that's just why I do it that way. So uh, retweet any one of those three tweets, uh, preferably the service you're listening on. And then uh, for a bonus entry, you can leave a review on iTunes or a comment on uh, SoundCloud. And uh, those reviews and likes and stuff on iTunes really help us out. Um, if you like the podcast, if you want it to grow, um, those reviews, let more eyeballs see it and, uh, hopefully get some more listeners. So, and yeah, so costume quest, monkey Island, AVGN adventures and ghost of a tale are the four games that you could possibly win one your, the, your choice. <laughs> one of the four. Yeah. Pick one of the four. Pick, pick your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> we'll buy it for you. We'll buy it for you. We'll send it to you on steam and, uh, yeah. Until next time.